So chapter 2 of Ephesians, that's where we ended up last week. If you're noticing a little bit of flavor here, uh, we are going through the book of Ephesians. We're just riding into chapter 1, going through the flow into chapter 2. And uh, God is so good. The songs are so beautiful. The people that are singing the songs are so beautiful. So we thank you for coming. If you're a guest today, welcome. We love you here. We want God to do what only God can do. See, this is not our work that we do here at Sagemont. This is God's work. And only God can do God's work. That's important to understand. We're not trying to build a crowd. We're building God's word into people. And we trust that he will do what only he can do. What beautiful music, songs that talk about the text that we're in. So in chapter 2, we, we left off in verse 5. So let me give you a little recap about verse 5. Um, where we talked about we were basically against God, and the whole time he's been for us. He's been for us. And so we know he's for us because of his son, Jesus Christ. So basically what happened last week when we ended off last week, we talked about how God in Christ makes us alive. That's a gift. Salvation is a gift. It's not a reward. It's not by your works. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. That's what Paul's been telling us. So basically we're born with the dimmer switch in our lives off. The dimmer switch is off. It is dark. It is dark in our soul. We are born in sin. We have no hope apart from Christ. And what God does through Christ is when Christ comes in, the Bible says last week, if you'll look at verse 5, this is where we left off, and he made us alive together with Christ. So God takes the dimmer switch, and he's the only one that can move us from darkness into light. He's the only one that can take a dead person and bring them into life. God's mission is not to take bad people and make them good. He's to take dead people and make them alive. People that need resurrection are given life through him. And so that's what Paul's saying. So this morning, he says, you're made alive together with Christ. What happened to Christ has now happened to you as you put your faith in to Jesus Christ. Now, because of that life that's now in you, God is for you, he's been for you, but now he's in you and you've been made together alive with Christ, so that means that you've been quickened to life. That's what the word means in the original language. It means you've been made alive. So the very moment, the very moment you ask Christ to come into your heart, you're made alive. You're moved from death to life. It's so quick. It's so fascinating. It's so real. It happens instantaneously, and it's God's work, and he does it, and it's a gift for us. And then he says, by grace you have been saved. That's the only way you can be saved is by grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor, so it's by grace that you're saved. And then Paul talks about, in verses 6 through 10, he talks about now that you're saved by grace, you're saved for a purpose. You're saved for a reason. You are God's workmanship. He, you're not saved by good works, listen carefully, but you are saved for good works. It doesn't end with salvation. It just begins with salvation. And now God wants to do this great work in your life so that good works just flow out of your life and flow out of my life. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. Have you ever been to Atlanta, Georgia and seen Stone Mountain, any of you? There, there's something about Stone Mountain that you need to see because the leaders of our confederacy, uh, Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Stonewall Jackson, there is a, um, 
an outcropping of granite. And about 700 feet, there's this outcropping of granite. And carved and chiseled in that granite is Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, and Stonewall Jackson and their horses, the leaders of the Confederacy. And so if you look at that picture, and I've actually been there, and I've looked at that mountain, and I thought about how, gosh, that big, huge outcropping of granite, they must have added something to that mountain in order to get those beautiful images and that work of art and that masterpiece. But it's just the opposite. Listen carefully. You take from the mountain, you don't add to the mountain. That's the way it is in salvation. We come into this life large. We come into this life in charge. We come into this life dead in our sins, but alive to ourselves. And we think when we get saved, God's going to make us bigger and stronger in our own flesh. And he does just the opposite. He takes from the mountain instead of adding to. Because there's nothing to add to our deadness. When you're dead, you're dead. And you need life. But when we get life in Jesus Christ, what he does for the rest of our lives is he takes from that mountain and he begins to chisel and he begins to work and he produces this beautiful art as the master can only do. And we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We don't add any good thing from ourselves. We say it's all by his grace. God, whatever you want to do, just do it in me. So God says, I'm going to chisel. I'm going to move in your life in such a way that the beauty of grace that is seen is about me because I made you alive. You didn't make yourself alive. I did that. So that's where Paul's going here in chapter 2. And in verse 6, he tells us a little more about salvation and what it means. Look at the text. It says, and he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only has he made us alive together with Christ, that's verse 5, and that's something that has happened that has ramifications to your life today. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. But he's also raised us up. The resurrection, he's raised us up together and made us sit together with him. Now we've already learned in chapter 1 that Christ is seated in the heavenlies. But next to Christ is a seat for you and a seat for me. Because what happened to him has now happened to me. So you say, Freeman, how can that be? I'm living in this earth. I'm living in this earth realm. I'm living downstairs. I am on this earth. And the text says he made us alive and he raised us up and he seated us Now listen to what he's saying here. He's talking about positionally, not literally. He's talking about in the spiritual realm, you live upstairs. Do you understand that? I mean, he is so good to us that salvation, he raises us up and he seats us in the heavenlies. He's got a seat next to him. He's already seated. Now I'm seated next to him. You say, you can't say that because I'm sitting here in this seat right here and I'm watching you and I'm seated in Sagemont Church. Not really. That's in the earth realm. In the spiritual realm, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are spiritually where He is, and He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now watch this. And He's in a position of rest. What stresses you? 
If he's in a position of rest and he says what has happened to me has now happened to you and I've raised you and I've seated you, then I should live my life in the downstairs like is true of the upstairs and I should be in a position of rest. But the reality is we go through this world and we are stressed out to the max. I mean, there are freeways under construction that will drive you crazy. And there are people who don't know God who are crazy in driving. And then there are those that have bumper stickers that say they know God and they're worse than those that don't know God. <laughs> and they say, uh, oh, they got a sticker that says, I found God. Now let me tell you something. You didn't find God, He found you. Now when He found you and you weren't lost, he, you were lost in your sin, but He knew where you were. When he found you, he initiated salvation, and by choice, you said, yes, I will to that. You say, what's God's part and what's man's part? I'll tell you exactly what's God's part and what's man's part. I did all the sinning. That's my part. God did all the saving. That's his part. It's just that simple. Now, watch this. The text says he raised us, and he seated us. So as I'm preaching, I'm really seated spiritually at the right hand of God and Jesus. And I understand that my life is hidden with Christ in God. So as I'm speaking words of truth to you, I know they come from a spiritual realm, from upstairs. But Paul wants us to understand that it doesn't end with Christ making you alive. He seats you. Notice the text. I'm not making this up. If you have any emails that you'd like to send that are contrary, uh, uh, Chuck.Schneider at Sagemont Church, I see him right here, or Stuart Rothberg, either one, that's fine. Now notice what he says. Uh, he, he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, okay? So that's positionally where we are. We live our lives in the spiritual realm. And listen, one day we will literally be seated with him. It, physically, we will be in heaven. On, so we're in heaven on our way to heaven. And Paul says in verse 7, look at the text. He says, you're seated in the heavenly places in Christ. There's the preposition. And then he says that in the ages to come. Notice he doesn't say in the age to come. This is important. It's not singular. It's in the plural. He says in the ages to come. Look at this. I'm not making this up. He says, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what he's saying here? That God says, in the ages to come. Well, I thought everything stopped when I trusted Christ as my Savior, and then I was obedient in baptism. I thought that's all there is. That's not all there is. Because in the ages to come, not only do I look forward to heaven, and not only do I look forward to the eternal realm and being with Christ forever and forever, but in, there, in the midst of being with Christ, there are ages to come. So he's just going to unveil his love in the ages to come. One age upon another age upon another age. And the text says here that he's going to show the riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's going to take all of eternity for God to unveil his kindness toward us. He is kind and he is more kind. And when he is more kind, he's more kind after that. And he's more kind and more kind. So it will take all of the ages to unveil forever how kind God is to you and to me. He's kind. 
He's kind. He's full of grace. You will never come to Jesus Christ and deplete Him of mercy. He's got enough mercy to meet you at the point of your need. And He is so kind. And He is so gracious. Basically, the translation of verse 7 is it's going to take all of eternity for God to show you how kind He is to you. And for you and I to receive that gift and to understand, God, it's all because of your grace. It's all because of your goodness. There's nothing that I can bring to the table. It's all grace. It's all mercy. And it's all kindness. You think about the people in Venezuela that are under the domination of socialism, under a president who's oppressing the people, and you think of how they're desperate and running and trying to find hope. And I read this morning that Franklin Graham's ministry is trying to get involved. You think of people that are under the oppression in the fist of a heavy-handed leader, and you think of all those people that are trying to escape, and all they need to run to is to the kindness of God through Jesus Christ. God's got so much kindness for them, so much love for them, so much grace for them. If they can just run not from something, but to someone, they can find hope, just like you and I have found hope in Jesus Christ. So God is kind, and He's kind forever. Now listen, so here's what's happened. Through Jesus Christ, He has cracked open our dead hearts, and He has put His life into our dead hearts. And then He said, when I put my life into your dead heart, it's going to be there forever. And your heart is going to beat, and it's going to beat for my grace and for my mercy and for my kindness. And when you breathe your last breath, you're going to go be with me in heaven. But heaven's not the end, because from the ages to come, I'm going to unveil all that to you. Listen, it is from eternity past to eternity future. Forever, 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 we will choose to bless his name. So God says, I'm saving you so that I can spoil you. That's what he's saying. He wants to spoil you with grace and mercy and kindness. Think about that. Now look at the text. Let's go a little further. For by grace, you've heard this all your life, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So let's take that scripture. For by grace you have been saved. It's like a multiple choice test. But, but God says, let me just go ahead and tell you, letter A is the answer. For by grace have you been saved. That's the answer. So Paul puts his finger on the answer, and then he leans into the answer, for by grace are you saved through faith. And then he says, now let me tell you why B and C and D don't work. That's what he says. Look at the text. For by grace have you been saved, puts his finger right on it. It's by grace that you're saved. Listen, if you're here this morning and you say, I need to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I feel empty, I feel hopeless, my heart is dead, my heart is disobedient, my heart is doomed, I've got good news for you because the Bible says it's by grace that you are saved through faith. And all you have to do is say yes to Him. All you have to do is receive the gift that God's already wanting to give you. He's wanting to give away what a lot of people want to earn. And Paul says, let me put my finger on it. On the multiple choice test, by grace you have been saved. There's no other way to be saved. All of chapter 1 is grace. All of chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Six, 7, there is no 7. 6 is grace. Now, here's what he says. So I'm putting the finger on the answer. Now I'm going to tell you why I'm putting my finger on the answer. Because, here's letter B. 
It's not of yourselves. Salvation is not of your own doing. There's nothing that you can do. There's no work that you can do. There's nothing in yourself that you can do. It is not of yourselves. And a lot of religions teach it's what you do that saves you. It is not of yourselves. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. Jesus Christ has done the work for you, and he wants to do the work in you, and he wants to do the work through you, and it's not your work. So he puts the answer, he puts the finger on B and says, that's why A is the correct answer, because B won't work. It's not of yourselves. And then he says, okay, you want to go to C? Let's go to C. It's, um, it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Here's, here's C. It's not of works. So it's, it's no work that you can do, no deed that you can do. There's nothing you can do to earn favor with God. There's nothing you can do to make yourself get to God. Because God said, I love you so much, I'm coming down to you. You don't have to get up to me by doing good works. I'm going to come down in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to do the only good work that is needed for salvation. And when I do that good work, no other works are going to get you into heaven. It's my good work of salvation that gets you there. So Paul says, letter C, it's not that one. That's why I put my finger on letter A. It's by grace that you're saved. Now watch this. And then he says, let me tell you why it's not D. Lest anyone should boast. Listen, you can't boast about something that you didn't do. And salvation is not your doing. It's not by works. It's not by my might. It's by his power that he has saved us. And Paul says, there shouldn't be any boasting. Now, why is there so much pride and arrogance in the body of Christ today? Because it's like we feel like we have to do something. It's like we feel like we've got some skin in the game. It's like we feel like that we're doing something of ourselves. And Paul says, listen, I don't want you to boast because salvation is a gift. It would be like this. It would be like going to the doctor and you're sick. And the doctor saying to you, I'm going to give you some medicine. And I want you to take this medicine, I want you to take this pill, I want you to swallow this, and then when I see you in a week, you're going to get better. So you come back in a week. The doctor already told you how to get well. You come back and you tell the doctor, I'm not feeling very good. And he says, well, did you take the medicine? You said, no, 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 I, I forgot. I'm, I'm, I'm my own doctor. I Google it on the internet. I, I can handle things myself. And see, the fact is that you, you didn't chew on the pill, or you didn't receive the medicine that was there to make you whole. And, and it's the same way with grace. We don't chew on it long enough to understand that it's a gift from God. So when God says, by grace we're saved through faith, we don't chew on grace enough to make grace a part of our lives, and we start thinking it depends on us, and it depends on what we do, and it depends on how we do this or do we do that. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't matter how you live, because Paul's fixing to get into that, but I'm talking about salvation here. He's saying when you go to the doctor, not only are you saved by grace, but listen, you chew on it then, you take the medicine, you live by grace. The same way we're saved is the same way that we live. We don't come in, oh, come in, it's all grace. You can't do anything to get saved. Then you join a church, and here's what we tell you. Now do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this. No, listen, the same way you were saved, Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, how? By grace through faith, that's the same way that you live. You chew on grace, 
By grace you have been saved. By grace you live. By grace you have your movement. Where there is life, there is motion. And motion is in Christ. So Paul says, it's not of works lest any man should boast. So we shouldn't be prideful. And then he moves to the mountaintop of verse 10 here. Here's what the text says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, there's that preposition in, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are not saved, if you're taking notes, we are not saved by good works, we are saved for good works. We're saved by grace. We don't come in pride. We don't come in arrogance. We don't boast. We say thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for your grace. And God says, now that you're in the family, I'm going to make you a masterpiece. You were marred by sin. You had no hope. You were doomed, disobedient, and desperate. And I came in and invaded your life. And now you are my masterpiece. You say, Freeman, this morning, I feel like God just took a paintbrush and just put a yellow color on the canvas and left me alone. That's because he's not finished with you yet. He's a beautiful master. And the word masterpiece or workmanship here means that he gives careful attention and careful detail to that which he has created. And it says here that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the idea would be, I want want you to go back to chapter 1 because when you think of workmanship, you got to look at the flow of the text and you have to look at the context here because the master who is Jesus already has been talking about how all the praise goes to him for everything that he's done in our lives. Go back to chapter 1, verse 6. Remember when he talked about how we are blessed in Christ and we have all these blessings in him and we're adopted, we're predestined, uh, all those things were blameless and holy before him. Here's what Paul says, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. It's, it's for his praise that he did this. For we are not our own workmanship, we are his workmanship. So all the praise goes to him because he made us in the beloved. Go to verse 12, chapter 1. That we first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. It's about the master. It's not so much about the masterpiece that he's made in us. It's about the master. The praise goes to him. Now, look at the next part of the verse where it talks about in verse 14. It says at the end of verse 14, it says to the praise of his glory. So when you think about a masterpiece, if you think about someone who's a brilliant painter, a a Michelangelo or a Vincent Van Gogh, and you think about the masterpieces and the beautiful paintings they have and the beautiful portraits of grace and beauty and the different colors that are in there, if, if, you, if we were to present one of those masterpieces today, you would be enamored with that masterpiece and you would talk about the beautiful colors and all that. But you would say, but, but the master, the one who made this painting or made this portrait, 
they can't really talk about the portrait being a masterpiece and being beautiful because if they talked about the masterpiece being beautiful, that's kind of arrogant. It's one thing for me to say, that's a beautiful work of art. It's another thing for the man who made it to say, that's a beautiful work of art. But let me tell you what, you have to throw out all fairness when you talk about God because here's God, watch this, who is the one who is the master, who all the praise is going to him. You say, that sounds arrogant. It sounds arrogant. It's not arrogant because the one who makes us his workmanship is the one who made us by his grace. So we have the master of the masterpiece, which is my life and your life, and he's the one that's saying, I'm a genius. I'm the one that made you this way. And you would go, oh, a person can't talk about their work that way. Yes, God can. God can because all the praise goes to him. It's not arrogant for God to say all the praise goes to me because he's the one that made us. He's the one that created us. He's the one that rescued us from sin that we were marred in and put us on the top shelf for living. And he says, now that you're related to me, you are like a potter in the hand. You are, I am the potter and you are the clay. You are in my hands. And I'm going to make something beautiful of your life. So the text says, for we are his workmanship, that God is a beautiful poet, and he's writing beautiful things about my life by his grace, by his mercy. From the ages to come, he's going to continue to work his masterpiece in my life, and he's going to continue to work in my life because I am, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Watch this. So God in salvation gives me his grace through Jesus Christ, and then he said there are some good works that I want you to do, and the text says these good works are prepared beforehand. Now listen to me. That means before you were ever born, God prepared for you to walk in some good works before you ever got here. Do you understand that? Do you understand how beautiful the poet is? How the master is creating his workmanship? Because here I am today, I am standing in a good work that God has created in Christ Jesus. And God says, Freeman, I'm so big and I'm so powerful. I created that work before you ever got there. In fact, I am preparing you long before you step into the good work that is mine. So when you step in to the good work that I have prepared, before the foundation of the world. Does that not blow you away? Before the foundation of the world. You tell me God's not big. You tell me God's not someone that we can praise and worship and honor. He is so big and so powerful and he knew that I would receive him and he knew that I would trust him and he said that work down there was prepared before you ever got here. And then he said, I'm so gracious, I'm going to prepare you before you step into that good work, so when you step into that prepared work that is a blessing for me, then I've got time to prepare you because I'm the master artist. I'm the master poet. And I am writing the script of your life. Freeman, you don't write the script of your life. I write the script of your life. And I've got good news for you this morning. Don't feel the pressure of writing the script of your own life. Our life doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And he's the master poet. 
He's kind. He's beautiful. He's graceful. He's prepared before we ever get there our hearts for the work that we're going to walk in. And he said, I love you so much. So I don't care where you are today. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what's happened to you. By grace, you can be saved through faith today. You can trust Jesus as your Savior. You can come with empty hands and receive the free gift of salvation. But listen, when you receive that free gift of salvation and you follow through in obedience and baptism, it doesn't end there. God says, there's some work for you to do. It's my work, but I use people who are surrendered to me. So whatever you're walking in today, the, God that jo- the, the job that God has for you, He's already prepared it before you ever got there. The school that you're going to, He's already prepared you to be in that school. The, the, the opportunity that you have is an existential opportunity. It's an opportunity in the now. And when you step into that work that was prepared before the foundation of the work, all you can do is say about the master poet, God is good. God is graceful. God is kind. And he would use me in spite of me. Because i got enough blunders in my life. I've got enough shortcomings in my life. God says, I'm still going to work on you. I'm going to chisel out of the outcropping of that mountain till the day you die. I'm not adding to your life. I am chiseling away so that my character and my life can be seen in yours. There should be no one walk out of here today without joy in your heart and a spring in your step. Not because of you, but because of Christ in you. Christ work in you and through you forever and forever and forever. Now notice what the text says. Here's what he says. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, we got that down beforehand, that we should walk in them. You know how you know if you're raised in the heavenlies? Do you know how if you know if you're seated in the heavenlies? If you walk in your Christian life, you got to walk. The word means to walk around. It means to walk in the grace of God. It means to be empowered by the grace of God. So these works that God has prepared beforehand, we walk in them. They're prepared way down here, but we're walking in them, and we're receiving the blessing that he has for us. At the airport, you know, when you have someone who's not walking as fast as they should be, and you kind of get caught in traffic at the airport, you start going toward the moving sidewalk. And it's inevitable. When you get to the moving sidewalk, you're going to have somebody who steps onto the moving sidewalk and doesn't walk. They're going to stand there with their luggage. And then they're going to be talking to somebody on the phone and like this, and they're flapping. You just got to get under the flap. You got to move under that flap. That's what you got to do. But here's the thing about a moving sidewalk. The thing about a moving sidewalk is all you have to do is put yourself in a position to get on that sidewalk and you just put one foot in front of the other and you go a whole lot faster than the people that are walking to your right and walking to your left. Here's the point of what Paul is saying. When you walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand, do you understand he energizes that? He energizes your walk and he empowers your walk and he moves your feet and he gives you an energy like nobody's energy in your own. It's his energy and it's his grace and it's his life. But you end up traveling on more territory because he's empowering you and he's moving you. Some of you today need to learn to start walking in the grace of God. You say it's God's grace that has saved me. No, it's yes, that's true. You you are saved by grace, but you also live by grace. 
And when you live by grace, you move. You walk. Even in the storms of life, there are times I don't want to get out of bed. I confess that to you. I confess that to God. I say, God, I just would rather stay under the covers. He said, Freeman, I still love you. It's okay. You can pour out whatever you need to pour out to me. I'm big enough to handle that. But if you will step and put your foot on the floor, I will move your foot forward. Because I empower you. I still have a work for you to do. And it's not only in this age, it's in the ages to come. God, we're going to be worshiping God forever and blessing Him forever. And His kindness and His favor is going to be on us forever. But Paul says we are God's workmanship and we are to walk in those good works. So Sagemon, closing with this. Those of us that are here who have trusted Christ as our Savior and we know Him personally as our Lord and He has prepared good works for us, all we got to do is get in on the good work that he's already prepared. And the way you do that, it's called ministry. It's called service. Do you know that we're all ministers if we're in the body of Christ? You say, oh, you're a paid professional. No, I'm not. I'm a broken, sorry, no good, rotten sinner who was saved by the grace of God, who is now a saint. God calls me a saint. I have to tell myself I am a saint. And he says, now, because of who you are now, you start walking in that grace and you start ministering to people. And when you minister to people, you'll be walking among people and you'll see ministry everywhere. Now, I'm going to say something that you may not agree. Again, you can send the email to Stuart or Brother Chuck. You don't even have to pray about opportunities to minister. You know what? Just open your eyes and walk. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. All you have to do is pray, God, make me sensitive to the opportunities and the people that are right around me. Because if, if I am your workmanship and you are working in me and through me and to me and for me, then all I have to do is yield to that. And when I yield to that, the greatest minister who ever lived is Jesus, and he lives in me. So Jesus is going to be relating to people, so I should relate to people and minister to them like he would minister to them. That's being God's workmanship. So in closing, I got two questions. One, are you sure 100% that you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you come to a point in your life where you have been saved by grace through faith? If you're wrestling with that, it all starts with settling that. You can receive by faith Jesus Christ. You can receive His forgiveness. You can receive His love. And He can crack open your dead heart and make you alive today. All you have to do is say yes to Him. When we leave this service, as you exit out these doors here, just turn inward. There's a connection center. We have a card. It's right in front of your pew. Uh, your pew. Uh, forget these aren't pews. These are seats. Um, it's right in front of your seat. If you want to trust Christ as your Savior or if you are trusting Christ as your Savior today, you can just check that box. Say, hey, I want to know Christ. I want to trust Christ. I'm going to pray a prayer with you before we leave today to show you how simple it is by faith to receive Jesus as your Savior. Maybe that's the decision you need to make. You need to trust Christ first, then you can start walking in the good works. Now, if you're already saved, maybe you need to follow through with the Lord in baptism. We saw the beauty of it today. Baptism doesn't save you, but it lets everybody else know that you're saved. It lets them know you belong to Jesus. It's a good work when you get the good work in proper perspective. Baptism doesn't save you. That's a work. But the good work that God has done in you when you're obedient to Him in baptism then you can take the next step of obedience. You know what the next step of obedience is? Service. 
Find a place to serve. If you don't like children, don't start in the children's ministry. Just say, God, I want to serve somewhere. We're going to be having some ushers in here. We're, we're trying to get some ushers, and maybe, maybe just being an usher in the 1115 service would be a great place for you to serve. Whatever decision you need to make today, you can make it before God, knowing that he's the master poet, and he wants to write a story about your life, and it's about his grace in your life. Would you uh, bow your head, and as the band plays behind, would you just take a moment to kind of draw a circle around yourself? You know, it's been a, it's a beautiful day. It's a sunny day. There's a lot of things going on. But maybe this morning you came to the service and maybe you didn't even want to be here. That's fine. Sometimes I wrestle with that in my honest own heart because of pain, because of hurt. But somehow God has you here. He has me here. And I'm just the mouthpiece for you to hear today that God loves you and He has a plan for your life. And if you're here this morning and you know that your heart is dead, you know you're dead in your sins and your trespasses and you can't save yourself, but you'd just like to cry out to God and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you came to save me. And God, I'm asking that you would save me right now. I repent of my sin. I turn to you and I trust you. Come into my life. Make me new. God says, I'll do it. Yes, I will from your end. He says, yes, he will from his end. In fact, you'll learn something about God. He can't lie. If you ask him to come in, he'll do it. He'll do what he says. Maybe you're here today and you have trusted Christ, but you don't see your life as workmanship. You don't see your life in the hands of a master poet. You, you see your life filled with turmoil and blunders and heartache and stress and anxiety and fear. Can I tell you, God wants to take the same grace that He saved you by and He wants you to live by that same grace in the face of all that stuff that I just mentioned. He's big enough. He's powerful enough. And He says, I want to use your life to bless other people. I have blessed you so you could be a blessing. And maybe this morning you, you're here and you just need to say, God, I'm willing to be used by you in whatever way you want to use me. I just surrender my life to you. You can do that right where you are. You need to check a box on that. You need to go to the Connection Center after the service. Make a decision, you go. But the beautiful thing about it is today, we're all here by His grace and it's undeserved. But He loves us anyway. So Father, take the words of the Apostle Paul that you have spoken through me, through this mouth, to the people in this auditorium and those watching by video, internet, streaming, Facebook, that you would minister to them. You're that big. We saw how big you were in baptism. You can save anybody who comes to you, no matter what background they have, if they'll just say yes to you. So Father, do a work in our church. Do a work in this family at 1115. Do one at 930. Do one in all our iConnect classes and our Spanish ministry. We're just one big family of people that want to say yes to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.